Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our new free app, which is the best way to listen to messages and keep up with everything happening at Creekwood Church. We hope this message inspires you and helps you discover practical ways to live a life of purpose. Enjoy. Well, it's good to be with you. I'm excited to be with everybody. Um, you know, just, I know that we, this, is a, this is a faith-filled crowd today. And so just in a spirit of faith, turn to the person next to you and say, this is going to be good. Come on. Now turn to someone else and really like you mean it, because we need some faith in here. This is going to be good in Jesus' name, right? Okay, uh, man, I tell you what, I really am excited to be here. And I just, I want to take a minute and just say a word of appreciation uh, to our pastors uh, Pastor uh, Stephen and Thalissa Nutt, and just the incredible leadership we have in them. Uh, because of the nature of my job, uh, I get to be around a lot of church leaders, a lot of Christian leaders, and I can say just second to none um, are our pastors. Their heart for people, their heart for this church, the most authentic leaders I've ever met. And so uh, let's just give them a round of applause and just appreciate them. Incredible team that they have put together. Um, my, my children have benefited so much from the kids program here. Uh, my kids love it. They, uh, I'm just thankful that they're getting Jesus somewhere, you know? Um, no, we're trying to get it at our house too, but it's nice that it's reinforced here in the church and, uh, it's a blessing. Um, so last time I was with you, you may recall it was a while back, but back in January, um, I put forth a challenge to you. I said, man, what would it look like if we believed God for something bigger than ourselves?" I said, man, could we, could we step into uh, just kind of this atmosphere of faith and, and just fasting and believing and let's, let's grab onto something that God could just do a miracle in our life? And, and I kind of told you about how my mother just stood in the gap and prayed for me and didn't let loose. And, and um, today, what I want to do is I want to challenge you not only to believe God and pray for something bigger than yourself, I want to invite you to do something for God that's bigger than you can do by yourself. That's what I want to challenge you with today. Before we get into our scripture, why don't we open with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I come before you today. Lord, I thank you for your great grace in our life, Lord. I thank you for the work of the cross and for the resurrection. Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that are receptive. God, I pray that my words would be your words and anything less would fall to the wayside. God, I pray that you'd be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you have your scriptures with you, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 20. Kind of set the scene for you a little bit. Jesus has already been baptized. He's already been through the the temptations in the wilderness. Uh, He's already started to face some opposition from the religious class of the day. And he is now uh, finding himself on the wrong side of the railroad tracks. He's over in a tough area. He's over by the Sea of Galilee, and he's with some rough men. And this is what we find. This is the setting we find them in. And so if you want to follow along, it says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
So here's what we have. We have the Messiah, the great teacher, the one who was prophesied had come, and he comes to some ordinary, everyday Joes. He came to just a working class. This wasn't the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the educated, but these guys maybe at best had a GED. Okay, these were, this was, these were some rough, bad dudes. And here he comes alongside them, and he extends an invitation to these guys, and he says, look, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Like, I'm going to invite you onto something that's so much bigger than yourself. If you will leave what you're doing and come with me as I extend this invitation to you, we're going to turn the world upside down. I don't think that those guys knew how powerful their yes would be, that they would be the tools through which Christ would build his church as we know it today. And as I was thinking about that power of that invitation and what it would look like if somebody came and and extended an invitation to you, I thought about an invitation that my wife extended to me. I thought about the powerful invitation that the love of my life gave me. Now, let me set the scene for you because this uh, invitation she extended to me actually happened back when we were in college. This was about 10 years ago. Um, Believe it or not, I used to work out quite a bit, all right? I know it doesn't look like it, but I mean, I used to be buff and I was the stuff, okay? Like I I was on the swole patrol, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, like I looked like Brad Levins at one time, all right? And so um, I used to go to the gym every single day. I, I mean, I was getting that beach bod, hitting the bench press, and I always just, man, I was in there all the time, and I always brought my own bottle of water because, uh, you know, I didn't want to waste any time walking away from, this, from the bench press. And, uh, but this particular day, I forgot my bottle of water, and so I had to walk across the gym over to the water fountain. And as I am walking over to the water fountain, all of a sudden, I look up and be still my heart. (laughs) I see the most angelic being that I have ever laid eyes on. And as the heavens open and the light shone down and our eyes locked together, it was a tractor beam of attraction drawing us into each other. The romantic tension between us was palatable. And as I approached this beautiful woman, all I could think was, Darling, I will be loving you till we're 70. And as I walked over to her with these thoughts going through my mind, all I could do was just keep walking and not say anything. But before you judge me too hard, let me just tell you, I was homeschooled, okay? Like, like, like my prom choices were my mom or my sister, all right? I had no uh, comprehension of what this foreign species called the opposite sex was, all right? I did not comprehend, Uh, but I'm thankful, and as you can probably conclude, the story didn't end there. Uh, About a week later, I found myself at the gym once again, but this time I went with uh, Dr. Gary Cook, who was my friend and mentor at the time, was the president of the university and now serves as our chancellor, and I was there with Dr. Cook, and we were working out, and fate struck again. 
here came this angelic being once more. And as she approached me, with all the courage I had within me, I still said nothing. But she, but she did a drive-by invite, a walk-by invite. As she's walking past me, she says, when are we going to go play golf? And I, this is literally what I did with my mentor right here. I looked up and went, and he said, Saturday, Saturday, go tell her Saturday, you'll take her to go play golf. And so I said, I went over to her, I said, Saturday, Saturday, let's go play golf Saturday. And that was, uh, happened to be Valentine's Day. And we have been together every Valentine's Day since. So, babe, thanks for being my Valentine. Um, anyways, but uh, I thought about that. The power of that invitation forever changed my life. And what I think we see in Scripture and throughout Scripture is that God is inviting mankind to be reconciled to himself. From Genesis to Revelation, God is extending an invitation of salvation to people through people. God, in his infinite wisdom and glorious grace, has invited us to leave the self-deception that this world is all about us, that this life is all about me, and to join him who is the way, the truth, and the life, in the great story of life, his story. In the same invitation he extended on that fateful day to Andrew and Peter on the Sea of Galilee to come follow me and I will make you fishers of men is the same invitation he's extending to you and me. Today, he's asking, will you follow me? And here's what we see from the passage, that if we follow Jesus, that we will become fishers of men. When we join him in his mission, we'll be about seeking and saving the lost. But that's not always the attitude we find in the church. That's not always the position we take those of us who call ourselves Christians. I think we end up taking one of three attitudes. The first attitude I see that we take in the church is we're relating to unbelievers, to the world, is that of judgment to the world. Like we think that we are, are just enraged by the behavior of sinful people, that they would act sinful. Like we just, like everything they do brings angst to us. How dare they act that way? We act as if it's a us versus them mentality. Like the 10th the fruit of the spirit is outrage. See, that's the spirit of Religion. Because here's what religion does. It divides the world into good guys and bad guys. But what the gospel does is it invites bad guys and Jesus. That there is no other category. There's only one good and it's him who is good. You know, I think these people think that Jesus came to beat the bad guys. But what we forget is that Jesus came to be beat for the bad guys. That he took what we deserved. See, Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second attitude I think that we often take is that of avoidance to the world. Now, these people are not motivated out of anger 
but fear. Like we're afraid that if we get too close to sinners, we might catch a bad case of the sins. Like, like that we're just, they make, unbelievers make us nervous. And, and you can always tell when you're around these type of people because of how they talk about other people. Like, they'll say things like, be careful. They read Harry Potter. <laughs> or, I heard that they watch rated R movies. <laughs> Or even worse, we went to Chili's the other night and I saw them drinking a margarita. <laughs> now before I go any further, I want to commend something about this group. I want to commend their pursuit of holiness. Because I believe that God has called us to be a peculiar people. I believe that we are a people set apart from the things of this world. And I in no way want to make light of sin or condone sin. But I think that we have to remember that if we want the holiness of God, we have to have the heart of God. And the heart of God is this, that the Son of Man, that God would leave the earth, that he would leave heaven and he would come and dwell among us. And that he would hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes so much so. You know what his reputation was? They said, isn't he a drunkard and a glutton, a friend of sinners and tax collectors? That's our Savior. That's the kind of man he was. Which I think leads us into the other attitude we can have, which I believe is the biblical attitude. And it's this, that we are to reach the world. See, Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, we see that Jesus has called Levi the tax collector to follow him. And, and Levi, so amazed that Jesus would call him, gets so excited that he throws a banquet and he invites all his friends over and they're gonna celebrate. And Jesus is the esteemed guest of honor. And as they come and they're feasting and they're having this, this great banquet, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious folk, the church folk of the day, they came alongside and they came up to Jesus' disciples and they said, why? Why does Jesus hang out with these in the NLT translation it says scum why would Jesus hang out with this scum of the earth and this is what Jesus says he says it's not the well who need a doctor but it's the sick I didn't come for the righteous but the unrighteous then and again, we see the heart of God to reach the world. In Luke chapter 15, whenever Jesus once again is approached by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the church folk of the day. And they come to him, and this time not to his disciples, but to him. And in Luke 15, they say, why do you hang out with these sinners, with these unclean people? And Jesus turns to him, and he says this, he says, which one of you? If you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, wouldn't go after, leave the 99 and go after the one and bring them back and rejoice over that finding. He says, or how about this? What about a lady who had 10 coins and, and she loses one and she sweeps her floor and she looks frantically for the money. And when she finds it, she calls all of her friends over and says, let's rejoice. Or how about this? He goes on to tell the story of the prodigal son. And he says, which one of you, if you lost your son, wouldn't wait in anticipation of his return? See, that's the heart of God for you and for me and for everybody that's not sitting in one of these seats today. 
That's the heart of a Savior who left his throne to dwell among us, that he might save us. And that's what he calls the church to be. So, I think many of you in this room would say, amen, Des, I'm with you. You go reach the world. Man, that worship moment, Brad, I don't know how he talks like that, but you go, Brad. Like, you agree with what I'm saying, but you say, man, but when it comes to me, let me tell you where I think that comes from. Where this idea that you can't do it, I think it comes from Satan. Another word for Satan is the accuser. And this is what I think Satan does. I think he comes to you and he says, you're not good enough. Who are you to tell people about Jesus? Look at your own, why don't you clean up your own life? Like, you're not good enough to go, you know what you did last night? You know what you did last week? And now you're going to come and tell people to go to church? Like, you're somebody? You're a hypocrite. You need to keep your mouth shut. Don't tell people about Jesus. Don't tell people about the church. Get your own stuff cleaned up. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 5, it says this. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for the sake of Jesus. What you have to realize is what we come in is not in our own power or authority or work, but by the name of Jesus. It's not who we are, it's who he is. It's not what we've done, it's what he's done that gives us the right to share the good news of the gospel. And as I was thinking about how to illustrate this and how to make it sink in, I thought about one of my favorite childhood games. How many of you have ever played Monopoly? Anybody ever played Monopoly? All right, so I grew up, I was, I was one of five children, and, uh, and uh, it, let's just say that it got a little rowdy sometimes whenever we played board games, and, and uh, sometimes I ended up like Jesus in the temple flipping over tables. Okay, so I actually, um, we actually didn't play much Monopoly uh, growing up because my mom banned all board games actually in our home. (laughs) But um, it's interesting, I read an interesting article about Monopoly money, that there's actually more Monopoly money printed in the world than are printed each year than real money. And at first, I was a little surprised, but then as I thought about it, I have a whole lot more Monopoly money in my house than I do real money, so I believe it. But um, what's interesting is that what makes monopoly money less valuable than real money and what makes real money have authority and weight to be used, it's not the paper that it's printed on or the ink that's used, but it's the authority of the issuer that backs up the dollar bill that brings value. And what you have to realize is when you come in the name of Jesus, it's not your authority, but his authority that brings the weight. The second opposition and lie that I think Satan comes to you and says is that you don't know enough Bible. Like you, like you haven't even read your whole Bible. Like how are you going to tell people that they need to go to church whenever you don't even have any scripture memorized and, and he just begins to come at you? Like, like you're, you, you, need a, you need a PhD in systematic theology. Like what's your Christology or ecclesiology and every other ology? And you're going, man, 
I don't know enough of the Bible. What if someone asks me a hard question? But here's what I know. God has not called you to be his lawyer, but to be his witness. See, the job of a lawyer is to prove a case. The job of a witness is to tell their testimony. See, throughout Scripture, we see when people encountered Jesus that all they did was go and tell their story. Like the woman at the well who went to the city and said, come see the one who told me everything I had ever done. Or the blind man who found sight whenever asked what happened. He said, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. And I don't know what your story is, but God's got a story in your life. And you don't have to have it all right. You don't have to have it all together. But you can say, this is what God has done in my life. And he'll do it. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. I'll never forget um, some buddies of mine and I were going down to uh, Deep Ellum. And we were going to go uh, witnessing over in Dallas. Anybody know where Deep Ellum is? Yeah? yeah some of you are like, I was there last night. Okay. Go ahead. Hey, you know, some good places down there. All right. But that's, hey, no judgment. Remember, no judgment. All right. We're, we're here to reach you. Okay. Like, I'm trying to bring judgment. That's the spirit of religion. Right. So um, we saved a seat for you. We're glad you're here. But I'll never forget, I went down with some buddies to Deep Ellum and we were going to witness and you know, the people are in the lines going into the bars and the clubs and we're trying to talk to people about Jesus and there was this one guy that was there, this homeless man, and, and man, this dude was big. He was like 6'5", uh, beard, just big old massive guy, and he didn't want to hear anything we had to say. He just, you know, whatever, was blowing people off. And I came up with this good idea. I said, okay, hey, man, if I buy you a hot dog, will you listen to me? He's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So I go over to the vendor, and, and I give the guy some money, and I take the hot dog, and I hand it to him, and... And this big old dude starts to eat the hot dog. And, and I, I mean, I didn't know what to say, but this is what I just did. I said, man, Jesus loves you, man. God cares about you. Like, like God, God, God died for you, and he loves you, man. And he wants to do something in your life, and he wants to do something through you. And, you know, it's not by accident that you're so big and tall. Like, people have to look up to you, man. Like, you can be an example to others. And, and, and you, know, you know, this world is, is struggling, and you're sitting here homeless, and you're selfish. When God wants to use you to make a difference in someone's life, and there's all these kids that are, that are getting into gangs and doing bad stuff, and you can be part of the solution, but you're not. You're just wasting your life, and, and God loves you, and he wants to do something in you and through you to reach people. And I'm just, man, I'm getting after it and, and, and just preaching away. And, and he did just like I did the first time I saw my wife. He just kept on walking and said nothing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, that was good stuff. Why is this guy not receiving it? And, you know, I went on with my life and didn't really think too much more uh, about it. Um, but about Six months later, when I was at the university, and I was an RA, and, and I don't know if you had this experience, but we as RAs will always carry in the new student's luggage, and, and I got this luggage for this guy. His name was Russell, and I'm, I'm carrying Russell's luggage up, and, and uh, I take it into his room, and I, and I set it down, and I said, well, man, my name's Desi. If you need anything, just let me know, and he says, what's your name? And I said, it's, I, I know. I don't know what my parents were thinking. It's Desi. That's my name. <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 that's not it. Um, he said, there was a guy. He said, so I, I, I work at a church over on the east side of Dallas, over near Deep Ellum. 
and, and this, there was this guy, this big old guy, comes into our church, and we do a homeless rehabilitation program there, and, and he walked in, and he just started telling us how there was this crazy guy named Desi that was yelling at him and telling him that God had a plan for his life, and, and he said he went through our rehabilitation program, and he's actually still at our church today. He actually teaches our sixth-grade boys' Sunday school class. And I was so moved by that, and I, and I went down, and I actually got the chance uh, to meet him, and he looked, I mean, you know when the Bible says when you come into Christ, you are a new creation? Like, this dude looked different. He was clean-shaven, he was cleaned up, and, and he looked healthy. There was, a, there was a light in his eyes that just said that he was born again, and man, he was there, and, and like, when we just hugged it out, bro hugged it out, you know, and, and um, just, he just began to tell me his story, and, and how he had lost everything, and his you know, his wife had left him and all this stuff. And, and then he said, you know, I found myself by some unfortunate circumstances on the street. And, and he said, you know, a lot of people would witness to me, you know, being where we're located in, in the Dallas area. And he said, but no one ever just told me that God wanted to use me. Like God wanted me to be part of his story. Like I had a purpose. Like God wanted to do something through my life. And, and he said, it just, it just resonated. And, and, and I just was like, man, I was so blown away and I thought how many more people are out there just waiting for an invitation to be a part of something bigger than themselves because I believe that all of us have been given an invitation by God to be part of the greatest story ever told and to leave the self-deception that this world is about us, but to realize that it's about him. And we're here for a short amount of time and that God wants to make a difference in you and through you to reach this world. Like, I'm telling you, this world is hungry for Jesus. He is the light, and he has called us to be the light in a very dark world. One of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis in his classic work, Mere Christianity. And it says this, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ's. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, mission, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Lives can be changed and destinies can be altered for the glory of God. It was about six months ago, I was on Facebook. And there was an old friend that, um, someone I hadn't seen since high school, someone I used to party with, and, and um, you know, we're more acquaintance than good buddies, and, and uh, her name's Savannah, she's, she's married and, to a great guy, his name's Justin, and, and at the time, we were all messed up, I've told you all my testimony before, and, and uh, a little after I got saved, and I, and I didn't even, I don't even remember this, but she, she, she wrote on her Facebook, she said, uh, recently at my church, uh, challenged me to share my testimony. And at this point, her and Justin have three 
beautiful kids. Man, they are serving in the church in New Braunfels, and they've been serving faithfully, and their lives have been changed. Their kids' lives have been changed because Jesus came into their world. And, I mean, it's just an awesome, beautiful picture of the gospel making broken people whole, lost people found. It's just amazing. And, and I'm reading her testimony, and, she's, and, and she goes, man, I went into a pool hall one night, me and Justin, and, and this was 20 years ago, and, and we're playing pool, and this guy walks up to us, and, 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 and he was just this party guy, and just this guy that, man, I mean, just, you know, just not a Christian at all, and he walks up to us, and he starts telling us how Jesus changed his life, and, and that, that, that Jesus loved us, and, and that he would love for us to come to church, and just come check out the church, because, man, there's, there's power in the gospel, and, and I remember we just, we looked, and we just thought, man, we didn't say much in that moment. We didn't know how to receive it. We didn't know what to say. But when we left that pool hall and we got in our car, we looked at each other, Savannah and Justin, we looked at each other and we said, you know what? If God can change Desi's life, then I think he can change our life. And he said, then she said the next Sunday, they went to church and they've been going to church ever since. And now their kids are in church and their lives have been changed. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I was, when I read that, I forgot about that. I forgot that ever happened because I never saw them again. I never talk to them again. And I don't know what seed you're going to sow. I don't know if someone's going to, you know, leave the streets, leave the pool hall, come to church. If it's going to be 20 years later, you're going to find out about it. But I believe that God's called us not to just be a social club, but I believe that he's called us to be a, a search and recovery group. Like church is not a building or an event or a service, but it's a people that are after God to go after his people. That we're on a rescue mission. I think about as I look at my kids grow, this life is it's going by. And only what's done for eternity will last. So we have these Easter cards. And I'm not inviting you to walk up to a homeless guy and yell at him. I'm not even, and I, I mean, that's great if you want to. I'm not asking you to, to go into a pool hall, but if you are, it's fantastic. But here's what I would ask you to do. Who's a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a barista, a waitress, a financial advisor, a mechanic, you can come to and you can extend a lifeline. You don't have to come. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to be it all. All you have to do is extend an invitation. That's what I want to challenge you with today as we close. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you today. Lord, and I thank you for the power of the gospel. It's the power to change lives, to change destinies. God, it's the power, Lord, that, that, that can move mountains. Lord, I'm thankful that you moved heaven and earth to come rescue me. Heaven forbid that I keep that to myself. Lord, I thank you for this incredible church, an opportunity I have to be fellow brothers and sisters for your cause. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we would love to have you engage in one of our weekend services. 
For directions, service times, and more information about the ministries of Creekwood Church, please visit our website at creekwoodchurch.com.